We've been to all four corners of Britain in our quest to interview the great and good of entertainment. Comics, actors, writers, politicians, singers, dancers and choreographers. It doesn't matter who they are. They've all given me their own take on the world they live in and have, in their own way, helped to define what makes Britain great. So join me and my assistants as we get another insight into the marvellous and enigmatic world of showbiz here on Beyond the Title. Legendary writer and comedian Tim Brooke Taylor first came to prominence in 1964 in the cult radio comedy I'm Sorry I'll Read That Again alongside John Cleese, Bill Oddie and Graham Garden. Just three years later, Tim secured a role in David Frost's satirical sketch comedy, At Last the 1948 Show, which reunited him with Cleese, Oddie and Garden for just one series before Cleese became Python-bound, which left the three remaining members to form The Goodies. And the rest is history. Beyond Sketch Show, Tim has been a regular panellist on the popular long-running panel show I'm Sorry I Haven't a Clue. I caught up with the comedy legend on set of the most southerly leg of his nationwide tour to talk funky gibbons, comedy heroes and recollections on an unparalleled career in comedy. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Tim Brooke-Taylor. Like so many of your comedy contemporaries, you played a vital role in the infamous Cambridge Footlights. What sort of grounding did this give you to the industry that you were about to dominate? Well, I think the most important thing was that I really didn't know anything about anything. And when I got to Cambridge, I met people I got on with and liked. And it was that group feeling that gave me the confidence that I would never have had otherwise. I'm still scared doing things, but that with friends doing stuff on stage, you die together or live together, um, was, was how I got into it, basically. And I was just lucky. The same college I had, Bill Oddie, who was in the goodies with me, um, that Peter Cook had just left. Eric Idle, I auditioned for my first year. And then I met John Cleese and Graham Chapman very early on, and we shared a flat together. And that was that group that got me into it, really. Mm. But even then, when we finished as students, we didn't think we would go on. And I got a, a job as a researcher for ATV. But then our student review went to America and to Broadway and didn't last long, but we got there and then came back and then we we started to do a radio show, I'm sorry I read that again, which was basically the student cast. And then gradually you get to know more, you write for people. And I did a series with John Cleese, Graham Chapman and Marty Feldman called it Last 1948 Show and that really was the big breakthrough. The BFI released some DVDs of that recently and it was strange to watch stuff that you'd done in 1967. This youthful looking young man who could do things he can't do now. So that was how. Now Apart from your acting career, your early credits came from submitting scripts to the Frost Report, yeah. combining the writing talents of University Review with Variety Stalwarts with the help of the continuing developing monologue. How did you maintain cohesion and harmony between these two separate disciplines? Well, the real, the real answer is they were very similar. Um, they may have come 
different backgrounds, different etc. But we all shared a sense of humour. So somebody like Dennis Norton, who was a god as far as I was concerned, um, Peter Cook, who everything he said made me giggle. Um, but people from I was always a big fan of old time music hall and old time radio shows around the horn and things like that. And that that's why I worked with Marty Fellman. But all those things we had in common was we were trying to make people laugh. So it wasn't a difference as far as we were concerned. At university we were quite old fashioned in a way because they just had everything was a bit like beyond the fringe and satire, so we went against that, mm. but then came back to that later. Josh has just asked, do you think that's why that show was such a hit? Which one? I'm sorry, we did that again. Frost Report. Um, the, the great thing about the Frost Report was it brought together very similar, well, they didn't know that, but were similar writers who got on together. And I mean, I, I got to know Marty Feldman very early. We actually we went to the World Cup final in 1966 together and mm -hmm. sat quite close to the Queen, his dodgy father from the East End, he was a tailor, had managed to get these tickets, I'm not quite sure how. Anyway, they were close friends, so that makes a huge difference. So when David Frost moved to ITV in 1967, he created a plethora of comedy shows, including Frost on Sunday, but you starred alongside John Cleese and Marty Feldman for At Last, the 1948 show. In what ways did this provide a testing ground for iconic shows like Python and The Goodies? Well, in fact, I first worked for David Frost at Rediffusion as a... It was called an editor, but I was really a researcher with John Cleese. And David Frost asked me if I'd like to do a comedy show because he was, as you say, putting them on. And I said, yes, if I can do it with my friends, John Cleese and Graham Chapman. He said no to John Cleese because he was doing the Frost Report at the time. But I managed to persuade him. And because we had met Marty as a writer, that was a logical person to do it with. So that, was, that broke everything out as far as we were concerned. And I was watching the other day one and watching the four Yorkshiremen as we'd done it then. And it was fascinating to see it's black and white, scratchy, but still made me laugh, which was, it was a great, it was a big breakthrough for all of us, I think. Speaking of which, one of the most famous sketches to arise from at last the 1948 show was the four Yorkshiremen. Yeah. Now, to what extent are you shocked at the enduring nature of this sketch? What shocks me most is that people say to me, don't you love that Monty Python sketch, The Four Yorkshiremen? And that really gets me angry. I've managed to control it over the years, but now I just say, no, it wasn't Monty Python, it was The Four Yorkshiremen. And I think, I think sort of reverse boasting like that still makes me laugh for the idea of people trying to say, oh, I had a much worse time than you did. I'm much shorter than you. I've we didn't eat for 40 years, you know, and things like that still make me laugh, you know. Now, it's a difficult question to answer, but how pivotal was David Frost to the comedy landscape of the time? 
What David Frost was good at was as a producer getting together, he recognised talent and he put together people would never know. He wasn't the funniest man himself, but he was a very good producer and I, I always criticise him and laugh at him, but I owe a huge amount to him. You know, I always say that when I went to Cambridge, I, for some reason, went to, they have a societies fair where all the different societies are. And the footlights, I went to them and thought, that sounds good. And then they were all so smug and up themselves, and I'm not just talking about David Frost, that I, I didn't join them at all and, uh, and avoided them till quite a bit later. But he did do a big breakthrough on television and I actually did a tour of America, of that was the week that was, a stage version, which he would join for one day every week. And uh, it, it, I owe a lot to him. And of course, in 1970, you teamed up with Bill Oddie and Graham Garden for the irreverent sketch show, The Goodies. Now, what was the feeling amongst the upper echelons of BBC management about commissioning something so left field? Well, Graham and I had already done a series called Broaden Your Mind, which was an encyclopedia, of, which gave you an excuse to deal with any subject, because an encyclopedia obviously um, does that. And we'd done two series, and the BBC said, we'd like a new series, but we'd like something a bit different, meaning better. <laughs> and uh, Bill, who was singing on the show, with three of us got together, it was the same time that, about the same time that Python started. And one of the problems with a sketch show is you start, you've got an idea, reach a climax, punchline, and then you've got to start all over again. What they did brilliantly was say, let's do something completely different, yeah. and then went on. So our way of having sketches was to have a storyline so that they all dropped in together. But actually, before each series, we used to have what we called a panorama meeting, where we discussed all the subjects and then tried to put them all together into a story. I think that's about, about it. Surviving for over a decade, why do you think the goodies were so re well received? And in the era of psychedelia, how did you combat suspicions that you were using uh, illegal substances for inspiration? <laughs> <laughs> I don't counteract that in any way. Um, no, it's just, in fact, the comedy was the was the drug. In fact, and um, you know, it was. I don't really know how to answer that question, but we, we we got on very well together. And one of the reasons I've discovered recently is very popular in Scotland and Australia, and I think one of the reasons was it because it was very anti-establishment, and they all loved knocking the establishment. I wish we were doing it now. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I think it would work quite well. At the moment. Yeah, it certainly wouldn't be funny. <laughs> Unlikely pop stars you might have been, but how did you feel about appearing on Top of the Pops with your top five hit, The Funky Gibbon? I was always, I absolutely, as a young very young teenager, the two things I wanted to do, I wanted to play centre forward for England and be on top of the pops with Pan's people. And I got one of them. <laughs> and that was great. I mean, because it wasn't your job and because you weren't expecting anything, it was, it was just, we were so fortunate and lucky and 
happy to do it. Even though when I watch it now in our dungarees going like that, I do get slightly embarrassed. <laughs> now, beyond TV, in 1972, you teamed up with Barry Cryer and Humphrey Littleton for the radio panel show, I'm Sorry I Haven't a Clue. What's the secret to the show's success and longevity? Um, it's a very good question. I did the last recording in Portsmouth on Tuesday, actually. Well, the last one we're doing, actually, I'm doing another one next Sunday. And I can't really answer that question except to tell you when we did the pilot for it with Humphrey Littleton, he and I went to the pub afterwards and said, will you promise you'll never do this again? And I said, I promise, cross my heart. I will never do this again. And that was in 1972. <laughs> We've got a very good producer who pushes us on and keeps saying, come up with new ideas, do things. But it's getting, it's getting harder work each time to think of new things. Barry and Graham have sort of not left. They're doing the next recording, but they haven't done most of them. And as I told them, I'm the last one sitting, <laughs> which is close to standing, but not actually standing. Josh just said that when he interviewed Barry Cryer about this, uh, Barry said he wanted to do this at the O2. <laughs> yeah, Barry would. <laughs> Barry would like to make a Hollywood film of it, but starring himself. <laughs> Looking back at your career, what is your proudest achievement? Getting away with it, I think, is my proudest achievement. Um, but there are moments that, looking at one or two of the goodies episodes, when we got it right, I'm very proud of that, because it's a mixture of satire, anti-establishment and slapstick. You know, so mm -hmm. I'm, I'm proud of that. And it appears to all ages, which I think is is my proudest thing. Apart from today, of course. Mm -hmm. How do you want to be remembered? Um, as the most talented person that ever lived. <laughs> <laughs> I can't guarantee that. <laughs> and uh, finally... What's next for Tim Brooke-Taylor? A show this afternoon at three o'clock, and then there's another double recording of, of Clue on Sunday, and then we're doing a tour of, I'm sorry, having a clue, in something like 23 locations in January, and I'm exhausted thinking of it. So, fingers crossed, I live to do it. Thank you to our guest for being the subject of another Beyond the Title interview. If you liked this, why not browse the website and see if there's anything else that takes your fancy. Don't forget to like our Facebook page to receive updates on forthcoming interviews and to see more information about me and what I do. Thanks again and hopefully see you next time.